0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think.
2: Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: The Talk Sport Daily podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more.
2: Welcome to Upfront with Troy Deeney and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine, the centre forward, the goal getter. On this episode, we're going to discuss his career, defining goals, the sacrifices that he and others around him had to make, and that feeling of when the ball hits the back of the net. Deeney!
1: Do not scratch your eyes. You are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here. With the very last kick of this playoff semi-final, Troy Deeney wins it for Watford and sends them to Wembley.
2: You're listening to Upfront with Troy Deeney. To connect with the football-supporting public, you probably have to be quite a genuine character, willing to graft, come up with some moments of true impact on the field of play. You need to be honest about your mistakes. It helps if you can talk their language. It also helps if you are a leader on the field, and a goal-scoring centre-forward certainly ticks those boxes. At one stage, our guest today was a bricklayer. I think he wanted to be a fireman at one point. He has since become Watford's leading Premier League goal-scorer and a Hornet pin-up boy. Welcome to Upfront with Troy Deeney. Hello, pal. Hello, mate. Did you just call me a pin-up boy? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I've, I've cracked
0: it. I'm going to tell my mum I've cracked it,
2: <laughs> and that's it. You've done it now. Um, what? Why do? Why is it? Do you think that you connect with people?
0: Honestly, a lot of um, a lot of my upbringing, I, I would say. My mum worked in pubs. So I, I used to be a glass collector from a, a very young age in pubs, and uh, my dad was always in and out of pubs as well, like socialising and stuff. So, I spent a lot of time interacting with new people, and um, I'm quite good at just understanding that everyone's got a story we're no we're no better than anybody else and again I appreciate people I appreciate what everybody else is going through and whether you're you know a a man or whether you're a a, a musician we've all got bills to pay we've all got families we've all got mental scars and yeah I just I think I just people can just relate to me I think you know a lot of Troy Deanies you either went to school with one or you played football with one on a Sunday that you know that kid that's not bad at football but messed about a lot and we all know that person that said, Ah, oh, I, I was good at one stage, but you know, my knee or if I didn't get on the drink or something like that. So I was that guy. I just managed to manoeuvre myself and, and just just carry on ploughing away really.
2: Goals are, are the currency that most strikers are judged by. It, yeah. Is is it all about goals for you? Has it always been about goals for you? No, actually. And
0: the reason that is because when I, you touched on it, I was a Brit layer, but when I was a Brit and I was playing with my mates, I used to play centre midfield, so I always used to enjoy creating for other people, but when I was like 16, I was playing with like 25, 30-year-olds, I was playing in like proper men's football, so I used to be the, the little kid that was could handle himself But I was very mobile and had a lot more energy than some of shall we say, so I... I used to score, but then I'd, always, I'd score like one or two and then I'd get bored of it and I'd try and set other people up and just wanted other people to have the limelight. So goals have never really been the main thing for me. I I can't explain to you the, the rush that you get when you score a goal. Like that's something I'm going to struggle with, I think, after football. But I do think um, the main part in terms of when people look at me, I don't think I'm considered a goal scorer, even though my record, I think I'm about... I'm just over one in three, I think, for my career, which, nice. isn't, which isn't too bad over a 13-year career. So I'm doing all right. But I think the main aspect for me is leadership, what I do without the ball in terms of defensively, putting people under pressure and, and the out ball as well, where, where, again, for a team like us, if we're under pressure and we're playing you know one of the big six and, and probably have to get, get it up to me and have to hold it, and try and draw fouls, that's probably more what I do and bring people into the game.
2: You spoke about that rush that you said you can't describe. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it an addictive feeling? It is, but then
0: if you go like... Because obviously, again, if you was talking to Wrighty or Alan Shearer, Rooney, or someone that's always banging goals in Defoe, someone like that, you know, that scored like hundreds of goals and their main attribute to their game is goal scoring, I think they would get used to the rush. Whereas Mm -hmm. I may go nine, ten games without a goal. But then I, I, I tend, to, tend to score in, like, little patches. So I'll probably go nine, ten games without a goal. Then I'll get, like, five in seven. So when I haven't got it, I'm like, oh, I want that rush again. And then when I get it, I'm like, whoa, 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 it's a bit too much. It's too much coming here. I don't know how to deal with it. So, um the two things I will struggle with after football is the coming out of the tunnel. That little bit there, the 30 seconds of stood, stood there, I really do enjoy that. That's like the gladiator entering the, entering the Coliseum. And then the, the feeling of scoring and the euphoria, because if you do get, in the very few moments you get to look into the crowd, you just see genuine
2: happiness. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 31 years of age now. Are you still learning?
0: Yeah, I don't like it when you say that. I'm hoping, my birthday's coming up, so I'm hoping that with this quarantine, it doesn't necessarily mean I get older. I should still be 31, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I said that about if the season's null and voided, does it mean when I go back, I'm still 41? <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: That's what I'm That's what I'm aiming for. So um, if we can stay in quarantine to the end of June, I'm officially still 31 for another year. So it's brilliant. <laughs> I am definitely learning. I think I am. I'm in a situation now where Due to life lessons, I think, growing up, maturity, understanding me as well as a person, um, I've now come to a point in my life where I'm actually, again, I sound like one of them old boxers, you know, them old boxers. It's like I'm the best I've ever been, but I am physically and mentally the best I've ever been. It's just a case now of um, just trying to enjoy the time because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to play at the top level for.
2: Let's uh, warm up with a couple of quick-fire questions uh, to okay. get a sense of uh, who Troy Deeney is. What's your favourite goal? Oh, Cholton away. Deeney who controls it on the edge of the box. Oh, he holds shit. off Morrison and then gets the volley. Wow, oh, awesome. what a
1: goal from Troy Deeney. He just keeps on
2: delivering for Watford. And that was a stunning strike.
1: We
0: really lost like 4-1. It was a really bad day. But um, I had like a long ball that's like, kind of aimlessly pumped up towards me. Uh, it's come over my shoulder. I've brought it down like back over the guy's head as it's bounced. I've hit it on the half-volley bar and in for about 25 yards. And it was a it was a real special goal. Everyone always goes back to the Leicester goal, but it kind of...
2: That was the one I it. thought you were going to come up with, the playoff semi-final, second leg. No, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to get
0: used to that's just what everyone remembers me for. So I appreciate it and I do appreciate it. But for me, remember that year was the year I came out of jail. Mm. So while it was a good year in terms of football, It was also a bad year in terms of my home life, so it just always reminds me of of that. So it's kind of my Aguero moment, but I have to learn to live with that. That's the one that everyone remembers. And when I see it, I do appreciate it for what it is, but just the the psychological backdrop of me going, ah, that's not
2: kind of what I wanted to to be my defining moment. Who was your favourite strike partner? Igala. Even though he didn't pass you the ball at Old Trafford? Mm-hmm. You,
0: didn't to, you, didn't to, you didn't have to bring that up We're us do so well Yeah, we're over that now We've passed it um, Yeah, that was a special day I've never scored at Man United And, I'm, and I don't think I ever will Because even this season when I did score VAR pulled it back for a shoulder That, that was deemed handball from Dawson in the build-up So uh, I don't think I'm ever meant to score at Old Trafford Who was your childhood hero? Ian
2: Wright um, What manager got the best out of you as a striker? Gianfranco Zola. Really?
0: Yeah. Like we, our, our attacking team was very much like, you're going to score four, we're going to score five. That was kind of our mantra. But spent a lot of time with me after training, doing like 20-minute, 30-minute drills of little things that people wouldn't even appreciate, but like smaller steps. So I used to take big strides and shoot quite wildly. And he, um, he literally broke it down and said, instead of taking two long strides, let's try and get seven smaller steps in. And then we kind of just did little technical things like that and started passing the ball a lot more. And he was like, you have to appreciate how much power you actually have. So he, he did compare me to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck, which I was like, that will never, ever go down well. But um, yeah, he compared me to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck in the sense that we both don't need too much backlift to actually hit a ball really hard. So he was just like, you just need to calm down and just take smaller steps and then guide it in and then. From then, I kind of went on to score 20 plus.
2: Which defender was your toughest or has been your toughest opponent to date?
0: I would normally go like Van Dyke just because of how, how big and strong and powerful he is. and He's just he just great. I've said it before, he smiles lovely as well when you're playing. He's, he's really nice. Such a friendly yeah, guy. He is. And then when we obviously beat them 3 0, he was doing his hair in the game. And I was just like, I remember standing there and going, that's unbelievable. Do you know when you just look at someone and just go, wow, wow, well done you.
2: Here's Deeney again. Real chance for two it is. It's the equaliser. The ten men of Walsall have fought back.
1: I know I'd go from rags to
2: riches If you would only
1: say you care
2: You grew up in Birmingham in the 90s, I suppose. What was it like where you were from? I always said it was normal to me, but
0: Again everyone's sense of normal is 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 different. I grew up in what was the biggest cancer the state in Europe until the mid nineties so I think that would give you a sense of what it was like but I think the best thing I could say about my childhood, childhood sorry was that it was loving it was I didn't see a lot of the trouble that I was I grew up in until I was about ten and again from breaking it down now with like psychologists and stuff like. My dad was in, involved in a lot of um, crime and stuff like that. So he did a lot of lot of things. And, and we would see like police coming very regularly to the house. But it just become normal. You know, like if the police officer come and knock my house now, I'd be like, oh, what's happened? Like who's died? You know, you kind of go into panic mode. But because mm. it was so regular, it just become normal. And it was like, no, nah, he's not here. Shut the door. Carry on with normal life. No one really spoke about it. But I always had a ball in my hand. My dad always made sure I had a football, so from the age of, I think from like three, always had a ball. I played what would have been under nines football when I was six. And my dad used to make me play football with all the local bigger kids and just say to him, kick him. If he moans, he'll come in. I got taught to, to grow up very quickly and, and I'd say fun, but very uh, very harshly in terms of 10, 10 and 11-year-olds kicking a six-year-old when I was running past them was, wasn't fun
2: you don't go for star players or politicians or historians or celebs as heroes your mum is your hero why just my
0: angel you know what i mean like just somebody that's always there for me good bad ugly indifferent anything i've done she's always been there as a kid growing up and, and seeing her work three jobs you know at times when my dad was in jail and stuff like she made made sure that we never went without Don't get me wrong, we didn't have the best of everything and we didn't have a lot of everything, but everything we had, she worked for and she was very proud of that. There was three of us at the time and she just went, doesn't matter about me, so selfless, Troy's going to do his football. My little brother was at Aston Villa as well, so he does his football. My sister was very good at gymnastics, so it was like three of us all having stuff to do. So Monday to Friday was 100% activities and she, she still managed to work three jobs and get us to all our, our things on time, and make sure that we never missed out on anything. And that's probably why she's my hero, I suppose.
2: And you mentioned that your brother was at Villa. Y- yeah, you had a little bit of a flirtation with Villa, didn't you? What, what happened yeah. with the trial? This is what I say when I talk to. A th- I, I just didn't care about football
0: in the sense that I didn't think it was going to be my dream. My goal, if I could do it, was to play for my local team, which was Chelsea Town. All the cool kids from my area they played there, so. If you could play there, that was that was my Liverpool, that was my Birmingham City. Uh, and then three of us got asked to go on trial at Villa. And it was like a five-day trial in the holidays. But they give you this like schedule. So it was like Monday was like an introduction, get you do some stuff. Tuesday training, Wednesday training, Thursday training, Friday was the game. So I turned up on Monday, had a little look. They had like Yazoo's, I remember beans on toast and Yazoo's. I do remember that. And I was like, oh, wow, I stole about three Yazoo's, and like give my sister one. And then I didn't go back until the Friday because I just wanted to play the game. That was it. They kind of went, ah, you're not interested. They, to be fair to them, they still let me play. I played like half a game, did did well, but that was it. And then they just went, oh, we're not going to keep it. And I, and I was like, okay, that was it.
2: So how did you, how did you go from missing out on that trial, being expelled from school at fourteen, um, missing yeah. that chance to go to an academy, ending up as a bricklayer to playing professional football at Walsall? How did how did that <laughs> manifest itself? Because that's quite a quick journey, isn't it? And quite a lot yeah. of stops on the way.
0: Yeah. So I was playing for three seasons. I just got I got bored of winning because there were times our keeper used to come and bring his Beano book and just read and stuff like that. It was just embarrassing. Um, and you started like feeling sorry for like the other team because we just we just killed them. And then I went and played adults football. And after I don't know six seven months of playing there, I ended up going into their like men's team again, youngest by about five years in there. Played with their first team for about eighteen months, but I was built. I was at building college as well at the time, and then I kind of passed as a bricklayer, did a job just working on the doctors in in Chalmsey Wood, where I was from. That finished on the Friday and I got my last payout, which was like £180 for the week. So in my head, I was like living the dream because I didn't have to pay rent at that point. And then I went out, had a real good Friday night with the lads, was hanging and my mum does this thing every Saturday where she cleans up. And about 11 o'clock, she, it was time to do Troy's room. So it was get out. I don't care what you do, just get out. So I got up, showered. Went across and played football with the lads, played a game, scored a few goals. And uh, Mick Housel was there from Warsaw. And again, I've, I feel really embarrassed when I say this story, but I kind of like dismissed him when he spoke to me at the start, at the end of the game. He was like, oh, how old are you? He was like, 18. Like, what do you do? I was like, oh, not much. I was like, can we go outside? I I need a beer. I genuinely, it was that point, but you know, when you hangover, hangover. i just ran around and I just needed another beer to kind of level myself out. And he came in and just said, do you fancy a trial at Walsall? But I'd never been to Walsall. I'd never actually been outside of Birmingham at that point. So I didn't know where Walsall was. So I was like, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. And he goes, yeah, come on Monday and we'll figure it out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then he turned around to the club secretary, who was Derek at the time, and said, you make sure he turns up on Monday. And then I kind of went out Saturday night with the lads, didn't think anything of it, played Sunday, and then went out again all day Sunday because I didn't have any work on Monday. And then Monday morning, my door was just banging. I was like, who's that? Like, opened the door, opened my window, looked out, and it was like, come on, we got to go. I was like, go where? He's like, "Worsel." I was like, that was real. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And I literally turned up at Worsel, and Mick will tell you this. I had a tracksuit on, and my boots full of cakes of mud in an Adidas, uh, in an Asda bag. Sorry. And I just turned up and just got in there, and Mick was like, well, you can go and clean your boots for us there in there and then get changed and then we're just starting. And then I literally was, that was it. I played one under-18s game, scored one, assisted one. Um, then they went, it's too big and too strong for the 18s. Because at this point, I was two years into playing with adults. So I was more developed than some of the other kids. And then they set me on trial at Hales Owen um, under Martin O'Connor. He, again, was like a Bogum City legend. And obviously I'm a Blues fan, so I was like in awe of him. And I scored... Over scored eight in ten or ten in eight over Christmas with them. I just got called back into Warsaw one day, and they were just like, well, "Here is a contract." And again, I didn't have an, any representation or anything like that. I was like, "Okay." It was to the end of the season. It was like a hundred and he was a like hundred and ten pound. I think I was on and a fifty pound um, trade pass to get in, and and that was it. The dream dream was lit, and the fire was lit. And I I never from that moment on never looked back. My mum again being the angel that she is. I went three months without getting paid when I was on this trial at Warsaw. and she just said, don't worry, just keep going, just keep going. And then, thankfully, we're, we're here today.
2: What was it like the first time you put on the shirt then as a pro footballer and playing for Warsaw under... I mean, you played under Chris Hutchins, scored a load of goals yeah. under him, sort of hit it off under him. What what was so yeah. good about it?
0: You know what? I genuinely had good schooling. I'm, I'm very privileged to have played with some real characters. So, when I first came in, we had Tommy Mooney, who... Literally took me under his wing. He ended up being my taxi driver. He just picked me up, dropped me in, dropped me back. But would do also little things that I still do to this day. So if I miss a target, I'll still do two press-ups. Had him for a year. And then Michael Ricketts came in. who's like one of my, my real good friends now. When I really hit it off under Chris Hutchins, I'd had two years of them explaining the game to me. And then I had Darren Byfield who was with me. And Darren was like the perfect foil. So he was playing on the shoulder, had no interest in coming to link up play. So I could come short, do that, and then just put him in behind. And naturally, my instinct of playing in midfield and, and searching a pass out kind of just played nicely to us. And, and we, we had a good spell. I think I scored like 13, 14 goals,
2: one player of the year and stuff. The centre forward, the, the, the number nine, is often the centre of attention. How yes. How did you deal with that? How do you
0: deal with it? I genuinely enjoy it. I, I like being... I've turned myself into the pads of my villa for two reasons. If you come at me, I'm naturally going to raise my game. So I do try and get fans to... You know, like if I'm not doing great or I'm not feeling great, I'll normally do something, whether it be run a ball down and then just give the, the centre half a little budge after the ball's gone, you know, just to get the crowd going, oh, what's he doing kind of thing. And then they'll go, right, they're all on me now, that's brilliant. And then that makes me kind of lift my game up. Or, and the main reason I actually do it, which people don't actually know, is I actually try and take the pressure off my players. Mm. So I kind of go, well, if they're all focusing their attention on me, nine times out of ten, you guys can just play carefree and just do what you're doing. So when we we played Villa away, for example, there was like 44,000 screaming at me. That should give nine other people the freedom to do what they want. Yeah, I can't do it for that reason as well, just to shoulder a bit more blame, really, and a bit more responsibility.
2: How do you keep yourself busy when you're not playing football? What's your go-to movie genre? Have you got like an inspirational film that you watch or a box set that you keep going back to to sort of keep your mind off football? I enjoy my boxing.
0: In the early 90s, obviously, my dad used to make me watch Mike Tyson.
1: The count is up to five, and six, and seven, seven, and eight. Eight. He won't be able to do it. It's all over. Mike Tyson...
0: For people that don't know that, like Tyson coming to the ring to just a a gong, when people see it now, it's all like fireworks and people like singing or rapping towards the start. He just dong, let's go, and walked as fast as he could to the ring because he just wanted to get in there and hurt people. And the intimidation of that nine times out of ten won until till Holyfield and and Lennox obviously took that off him. But um, I like to watch Goodfellas or Sopranos. Just things that remind me of my childhood really that just take me away from being Troy the footballer because believe it or not I, I enjoy that and I live for that but there's an element of me that just wants to be a kid again and not have the responsibilities.
2: You have had your spells of trouble, grief, yeah. prison, gambling, alcohol. Yeah. How, how How have you dealt with it and come through it?
0: I think the hardest thing for anyone to do is admit you've got a problem and then act on it so I genuinely... Used to love a drink, live for it. Weekends is what I live for, and then if that ended up in a scrap, so be it. Not proud of it, but it was just—it was just kind of the the environment in which I grew up, and I think a lot of it is about learned behaviors as well. So it's what you you see a lot of things, and you think that's just normal, and you kind of normalize it and go, well, that's what I'm gonna do because everybody does it. And obviously, as I've got older and experienced a lot more, and my mind has been opened to newer things and, and seeing that the world is a lot bigger than chamsy Wood, where I'm from, you then go, what an idiot you was. But I would never change any of it because I think it's, it's genuinely made me who I am to this day. I'm still working on being completely Tito. That, that's a work in progress. The anger I'm still working on, um, that's a lot of deep-rooted stuff in, in terms of childhood and just not being happy with myself in, in certain aspects of my life. Um, but all of this I'm doing with professional help. And every Monday from two till five, I sit and I talk and I try and you know peel back the layers of this onion that is me and try and work it out. And then once I've worked it out, I'll happily tell everybody the key to it. But um, as of right now, I'm still working hard at it. Do
2: you think you're a better footballer because you've indulged in therapy? Yeah, but it's not for everybody. I would
0: say that i'm not one of them people that says you have to talk and you you have to be ready to do anything and, and therapy is tiring anyone that says it's good fun is, is lying it's it's a release and you do feel a, a lot of pressure and weight come out you, mainly out of my shoulders i find but um i'm very tired afterwards for like a day of just offloading and, and the, the emotional kind of hit that you take from it but. Yeah, it's not for everybody, Sam. Honestly, if you if you feel that you need to talk to somebody, I would always say try it um, and then go from there because, as I say, it's not for everyone.
1: At the other end, it's turned back for Watford... Scores, He scores Did he score for Watford, six minutes into stoppage
2: time, A pitch invasion, front on the field, huge drama here at the current road, and Leicester miss a penalty, six minutes into stoppage time, and Watford go down to the random score. I have never seen scenes like this, it's unbelievable. In 2010, you moved to Watford, it wasn't an instant hit. It was- Tough preseason, etc., etc. You weren't know. Yeah. You didn't know where you were going to be. You said you moved there on the final day of the, or just before the start of the season. And my Kai was in charge, I think. What, what happened? Yeah. It was actually funny because again, I was kicking up a fuss to go to Charlton
0: just because I wanted to move. I remember Darren Byfield telling me, "Stop like sulking. You will move. It will happen. But you've got to be fit here. So get yourself fit here." and when it moves, you're ready to go. And I was like, nah, sorry, guys. Again, I was, what, 21 at the time? But yeah, no one could really tell me anything. I, I knew best. And he kept saying to me, like, stop doing it, stop doing it. And I remember going to speak to Chris Hutchins and I said, look, I want to go. But will you let me go? And he said, no. And I went, okay, well, you're going to regret that. And literally for five weeks, I did all the running. But every time a ball came out, I just kicked balls away. Because I remember um, a player doing it before and he said, don't ever do this unless you know you've got a move coming. And I was just kicking balls away and just being disruptive, really, until, as I say, the the last day. So I moved on the Friday. We were the first game of the season. It was Watford-Norwich away. I went down, did all my medical, did everything, was in the hotel with my mum at like, I want to say, 11 o'clock. And then they got a call saying, it's off, go back home. So we drove back to Birmingham. That was at, let's say, 11. So i probably say I got back for about one, half one. Went to sleep for a few hours at like six in the morning. Got another call saying you need to have a heart test in Cannock, eight, because the deal's back on. And I was like, what's going on at this point? Again, it's my first experience in terms of football business. Went there, got my heart checked, got told to go into Warsaw because training was at nine bought in for Chris Hutchins to say, I just wanted to say goodbye. Shut my hand and went, all the best. And uh, then got in my car, drove from Cannock to Beaconsfield at M40, uh, yeah. Junction 2. Signed, signed in the service station. Great service yeah. station. Yeah, great, unbelievable service station. I'm in there. A lot of people will see me. <laughs> um, and if you see me at Greg's, mind your business. Um, <laughs> and then went from there to Norwich. Got there at half four in the afternoon. Walked into a uh, a hotel room. A kid called Dale Bennett was in there, and he just like he was proper sweating. And you know when someone just looked fuming, I was like, "Hi, right, mate, I'm Troy." He's like, "Yeah, I know who you are. You just kicked me out of the squad." I was like, "Pardon?" He's like, "Yeah, he's like he was due to be on the bench, and I've obviously signed in time, so he's then been made to run." Um, and obviously, I was like, "Ah, this is awkward." Literally jumped to that shower, put my tracksuit on, went downstairs said hello to everybody, meeting pre-match and then we're at the game and then i come on at half-time.
2: You're underway then. Malky, Sean Dice, you mentioned about Gianfranco Zola changing your your, your goals output because it, it does that last three seasons in the Championship before you get promoted. Your yeah. goal output rockets. Um, yeah. Are those the most enjoyable times at this point of your career? Are you, are you flying? Is it all instinct? Is it all sort of Happening on adrenaline, or you is the the positioning natural, or is it all being, are you benefiting now from better coaching? Better coaching, I think that's a bit harsh. I
0: think the, um, I think what happened was I matured into understanding what it took to go up through the levels. So I think what, again, I don't know because I've never done it, but what I, I think happens between the youth setup going into a first team, you are kind of conditioned to understand that. Each time you go up, the level kind of changes. Where I never had that, I just kind of hit the ground running. So when I went to Hal Zowin, I scored goals. It was easy. Went to uh, Warsaw, scored goals, played lots of games. It was easy. Moved to Watford and then I was kind of like, that's oh, just going to be easy. And Malky and, and Daiji were very, very strict in their approach that the, the group mattered more than the individual. Whereas at Warsaw, I could kind of get away with whatever because I was the young... Star, So they wanted to sell me in the long term with the business, but also kind of mold him, but don't tell him off too much because if he loses his head, then we, we can't, he's not an asset to us. So kind of got away with a lot more than I would have done. But Malky tried his best to, to get me to understand that I was only like five grand a week at that, at that point. And again, as I've said about my, my upbringing, five grand a week could have bought probably a house a week where I'm from. So we we ended up kind of still hanging around with all my old mates and then you add a fire of I'm in the championship now and everyone knows who I am to then add more money than I've ever had in my life. I just turned into a, a to be honest. There's no other way of, uh, of of saying it. So Malky tried his best to keep trying to rein me in and get me to understand because he put his neck on the line to bring me in anyway because I think that was the first time they would spent money on a player in maybe two years. So he put his neck on the line to get me and i and I let him down in, in, in all aspects of it I did let him down massively and then he left and daishi, daishi couldn't stand me when he, when he was assistant, not for anything i'd said i like i wasn't rude or anything i just i just took the took the, the mick out of people and you know the trust and and I just didn't warrant anything that he was saying. I think they could see there was potential there, but um certainly didn't have the appetite and the and the correct mindset to to fit into what they were doing. So Daichi challenged me in pre-season and and I will always say this was the biggest turning point in my career. While while Jail was, this was a big turning point in in making me a a man, I suppose, in football. Um, He challenged me in in pre-season. We went away and I think it was to France, I want to say. and He literally tried to break me every day for 10 days, whether it be the running, whether it be the the, the few nights out that we had, he was like, "Troll, get drunk, Troll to decide, this so I generally didn't touch a drink. I didn't quit on any of the runs. And I just, I just kept plowing away. And every time we brought a new player in, I was like, don't matter. I'm still going to be, here. I'm still going to be here. And on the last day of the transfer window, we tried to, they tried to do a swap deal with, um, Lee Novak. He used to be at mm. Huddersfield. Yeah. He was at the time, him and Jordan Rhodes were smashing. League One. Yeah. So they tried to do a, a a swap with me for for him, that fell through, and then I was going to get sold to Coventry on the same day when Lukas Jukovic was going to go to Middlesbrough. So I was ended up sitting around, and I was I was genuinely gutted at that point because I thought I've I've worked hard, I've shown you what I'm about, kind of thing, and I still weren't for you. And I was literally going when I get to January, I'll move, and then in January we sold Marvin Sordell to Bolton, and it was on a Tuesday night we played Mid, uh, Millwall. And it was me and Joe Garner, and I think I was on the bench to start with. Either me or Joe, one of us was on the bench, Marvin was starting, but literally in the team meeting, Marvin had pulled himself out, and then he went, Troy, you and Joe are starting, and then he just kind of went, who wants it? The guy who's been scoring the goals is, is now sold. Who wants to step up and take them, the mantle? And Me and me and Joe both scored on that night. We, we beat Millwall 2-1, but I, I kind of kicked on from that moment and then you know, unfortunately, got locked up at the end of the end of the footballing year. But that was it where I really kicked on. And while on the pitch, everything started going well. My dad found out he was he had cancer at the end of Feb, died like early May. Well, late May, sorry. So while all this stuff on on the pitch is going well, I'm scoring, I'm focused, I'm doing whatever. And then in the middle of that, and my dad dying and stuff, I ended up getting into all that trouble as well. So I had. My dad dying on, on one aspect and me not knowing what to do. I'm, I'm fighting a case in terms of legally trying to send me to jail. And then I'm also trying to control the football. So that was a part of me really growing up and, and having to understand that football is, is a real big denominator. And it's not just a game when, when everything else in, in terms of the finances and the business aspects of it takes care of so many people. To then come out of jail and have a re refocus and, and rejuvenated, to have Gianfranco then go, right. I saw you play West Ham. I thought you was really good, but we need to work on this, this, and this. And I remember the first day I came in. If you've got to remember as well, I've been in jail for like three months. Never had a haircut. Was throwing weights around all the time. So I just looked like this big seventies bodybuilder. And um, and then I went into his office. And I, I had a tag on as well. So I went in and I just said, like, hi, I'm Troy. And he goes, I know who you are. Played West Ham. I thought you are really good. But just to let you know, because at this point in the box, those bought in, I think, 38 players or something like that. I was the seventh choice striker at this point. Wow. He went, you're, he went, you're the seventh choice striker. He said, we, you know, we can try and figure it out and see where you fit in. And I laughed. And he went, did I say something wrong? I went, no, no, sorry. Didn't mean to insult you. I said, you just said I was seventh choice. So give me a week. And he went, oh, I like that. And I went, oh, you'll like what you'll see. And then I went home on the, that was a Tuesday. I went back into training on the Wednesday. Trained on my own for four days. We played QPR um, in like in a range friendly because we had so many players. Played and scored in that on the, the following Wednesday, a week later. Then on this Saturday, I was on the bench against Bristol City. And I came on for the last 15 minutes And then the following week, so what, 15 days later, I played Huddersfield away and scored the winner, and then never looked back after that.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van?
2: Oh, given away by Alexander-Arnold. Is Assar inside the area. Deeney with an open net to score and does. And it's 3-0. 72 minutes on the clock. Troy Deeney gets his first ever goal against Liverpool. And it could be the goal that means that Liverpool have beaten for the first time this season. I mentioned this earlier on, that the centre forward is often the star. It's not an individual sport like tennis or, or boxing, which I know you love. But there is yes. heightened pressure on someone in your position, and, and 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 obviously a lot of eyes on you as well. You you talked about boxing, and you've got an affinity with it. If you had walk-on music, what would it be? It's the final countdown. That would be my dog,
0: <laughs> Yeah, just something like that. Just a bit fun. Um, know there's an element of risk in it but also just you know what we're here for a, a short time Let, let's just enjoy it i don't i don't see any challenges as too big and too scary so yeah let's just let's just have a, have a bit of fun with it
2: do you use music to rev you up do you use tools like that to rev you up or have you <laughs> there's this perception that i just like sit in the corner
0: listen to the most aggressive music ever and then go out and I'm just this angry. i actually listen to like really soft music in the sense of like On my playlist, I've got like ABBA and stuff on there that my mum used to listen to, Barry White, some new school R&B, and then a few songs that my mates have made. And and that's about it, really. I try and be as calm as I can because I know football gets me. I'm so passionate about it that I'm going to get wound up anyway. So I try and reserve all my energy for as long as I can.
2: I know you love a bit of banter in the dressing room, on Twitter, post-match interviews. If you had your time again, would you... uh... Question Arsenal's cojones.
0: I was right. Made a lot of people famous as well because how many people said it after me? The only thing that people don't like is that it was me that said it and I was still playing. I remember Merson hammering me saying, how how dare we say this? How dare we say that? And three weeks later, I said the same thing. Do you know what it is? I, I'm not very good at speaking in terms of trying to un- get people to understand my point. So while I've got a bit of a platform, I'll say it. But my thing with, when I was talking about Arsenal is that for years and, and decades, again George Graham and under Wenger as well at the early part, they were really well drilled. Never let many goals in. Had a real steel steeliness about them. That's what they were built on. So that they were kind of like the Mike Tyson before he'd already played. He was like, oh. we've also got like Armory and Pires and Lundberg and Bergkamp, and oh, you can keep going. The list is endless of all these great attacking players that they've got and have got to this day. It was all built on the fundamentals of a solid back five. Now, you could probably argue for, what, the last 10 years, there hasn't been a solid foundation to build off.
1: Oh, Socrates has given it away and clearly has scored!
2: Watford gifted an interest in the game! We highlighted in the first half the risks that Arsenal were prepared to take at times and it just seems absolutely daft.
0: While they're really good going forward and when it clicks, they're unbelievable, but there's a vulnerability, and any team that plays against them. So if you was to ask someone that played for Burnley, to be honest, to West Ham or any of that, you go, let's not try and out football them. Let's just get it up into them, get off the second ball, and try and run over them. And that's what people do, and people have had success with it. So the facts are the facts. I've got a big head. Call me a big head. It is what it is, isn't
2: it? One of the games which really stands out for the game that stands out for me when I think Troy Dean, I think of the FA Cup semi final, Delafayo coming off the bench, turning the yeah. game. And then you clinching the penalty to send Watford to a cup final for the first time since '84. What were yeah. you thinking at two 0 down?
0: It was a really strange game because I always felt that we was in control and and it, I was comfortable, but we just we just didn't do anything. We we had a big chance um, in the first half. I crossed for uh, Andre Gray, and he went with his foot when up, and I thought he should have headed it. And um, if he would have scored, I think he would have scored the first goal. We probably would have went on and been a bit more easier because it would have made wolves come out. But at 2-0 down, I'm thinking we still got a chance. And then we just kept going, but we kind of lost our, our game plan. It kind of just became a war of attrition just started kicking it long and hope Troy heads it and hope it drops to someone. It was just all hopeful. And then thankfully in the last minute, I didn't go to my normal space of trying to attack the back post. Someone just said that there's no way he's going to be able to put this to the back post to so kind of hang back and go and attack it. Thankfully, I did that, and uh, I think it was Den Dendonka kind of left the leg out and just took me down. And I wasn't sure whether the ref was going to give it. I know um, Mike Oliver likes to take a lot of time and his dramatic poses to uh, make sure his Instagram looks good, but he uh, <laughs> he definitely he definitely took his time with that one, and thankfully he got it. And then when he said VAR, I was like, Oh, here we go. I'm not going to get a penalty, am I? And yeah, it came, but I kind of just took myself away. It was it was it was surreal. No more than probably a minute and a half. It felt like a lifetime. I went and got a drink, and I remember just like looking at a couple of fans, and they're like, "Come on, Troy, score!" And I just just started laughing. Don't ask me why. I don't know. It was a nervous laugh or whatever. I just started laughing. I just thought, "This is kind of the stuff we've been waiting for, isn't it? All live and falls on, on this one shot, and have you got the nuts to step up and take it?" And I just thought, you know what? If I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss on my own terms. So, so all that work Joe Franco had done. Kind of went out the window. I just <laughs> and I literally just went. Do you know what? I'm
2: going to hit this as hard as I can.
0: Thankfully, it went in.
2: Two one down. Danny steps up right, but he rifles it down the middle of the pitch and what for the level in stoppage time at the end of the semi final through Troy Danny, their captain. At the end, you walk to one end, you collapse on your knees. There's that moment <laughs> where we see you just taking that little bit of time for yourself what are you thinking are you thinking only about the final or is that not even in your mind at that point you're just thinking this is as you say boy's own stuff from them times
0: of playing wembley singles up against the garage like we all did as kids this is this is what it's about you've just you just won at wembley but i can't explain to you the feeling it was just a like i wanted to cry but i wanted to smile i wanted to run around the pitch but i had no energy in my legs so it was like big bag of skittles of emotions i suppose and i just um just thought, you know what, just take this minute, enjoy it. You know, I just said a little prayer to my dad and to my granddad, obviously not, not around anymore, and just said, the boy's done good. And that was it. And then I, um, I left. And this is probably something that, like, people don't realise. So when we went into the dressing room afterwards, naturally everybody's jumping around and happy and whatever. I just got my phone and I had a box that day. So I went straight up to the box and just had, had a, a drink with my family and give my mum a hug and my, and my missus a hug. I just needed, I don't do the whole, all of us, and we're all great unless, I think there's a picture actually. So I think someone took a picture, you know, in the dressing room afterwards. Hmm. And you'll see that I'm not there. I kind of said well done to the boys and went upstairs and just had five minutes with my family and then come back down and join back in with the celebrations.
2: The final itself obviously didn't go to plan. Can you put... No, <laughs> <your>, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put your finger on white when? so badly wrong do you think it's just that they are manchester city we actually started the game off really well Mm. we had the big
0: chance with uh, roberto perea when we hit them on the counter attack and if he scores at that point again i'm not trying to blame him for anyone that's going to jump on the bandwagon but if he scores at that point the confidence just goes through the roof but not only that then everyone goes we've got something to hold on for here he didn't score they scored just before halftime and we were still like all right, well, if we can stay a bit longer like this, you never know. But then they started the second half and I think they hit two or three pretty quick and it was just like, wow. It kind of gone from being, we're in with a chance to, we're winding and what is happening and they're just, you know how relentless they are. They just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming and and we just just fell apart. And I think that's what it was. Essentially, people quit on the day and I said it, I said my piece afterwards, I thought people quit on the day and, and that that was it really.
2: This season's been cut out by the pandemic. Um yeah. but just before the lockdown, we were all at Vicarage Road on a Saturday evening and you were part of that Watford team that ended Liverpool's unbeaten record this season. I thought the the reason for the victory was that everybody had played at their maximum. Is that how it was viewed in the changing room? What did you put it down to?
0: We took our chances in, in that game. I think the first half was very much about containing and, and I think it's gonna sound really bad but you know like the dela injury was was horrible for yes. for him and for us but it also come at a good time in terms of it killed the game for six seven eight minutes we all kind of got back into it right let's get into half time and refigure it out we got in at nil nil and then we'd all went they're here for the taking you know boys let's have a go and when you've got the pace of this man aside like you you've got an absolute diamond in the rough there that, that can potentially go on to do whatever he wants to do and we were playing well so we, we scored we scored goals um, at key moments I remember being on the pitch and being 3-0 up going if they score one they could score four here yeah? like, Though no one was very safe we were still running harder until the last minutes and I think what you said I think everyone if you were doing the old school ratings I think everyone would have got a eight to a nine out of ten.
2: Hold the back page. Liverpool are beaten for the first time in the Premier League this season and they are beaten by a club fighting for their lives. On its day, with Zed cars blasting out as you walk out the tunnel, a sea of black and yellow, the flags that they sometimes have in the stadium. It's an emotional place, Vicarage Road. Does it feel to you like, like home? Does it evoke emotions in you when you walk out on big, big nights?
0: Yeah. Definitely. And, and I do, I do I've do. i always had a thing with night games. I don't know why I feel like night games are just, they're just better, aren't they? It's dark, the floodlights are on. It feels more passionate, more intimate, I suppose, when it's when it's darker and all, all the floodlights are on and you can just appreciate that everyone's there. But yeah, when the music's blasting and it's a it's a game against, I don't always think it's a, the big games, you know, like your, your, your top six teams. I think the games where people really get up for it is when it's a, it's whoever wins keeps themselves safe. I remember us doing that a few years ago where we played West Ham and whoever won kind of put themselves at like 38 points. There were about six games to go. So it was like a big game in sense of Whoever won kind of went, ah, oh, this is this is the one that's going to kind of get us safe. And uh, we beat them that day. And I think just nights like that, I can remember that just make you go, nah, this is what it's all about. And I think fans, especially of uh, smaller clubs, they kind of, Galvanised when you're in your time of need and they get louder, and that then makes the players run an extra 5%, which they probably didn't know they had. So, just nights like that, it is, it is special. And I do walk out sometimes and go, This is my home. I'm in charge of making sure that this is run properly.
2: At the end of these interviews that I've been doing, we've been testing our nines, our strikers. and We call it the perfect hat trick. Can we see how well you know yourself? Just three questions. <laughs> of course, you can. All, yeah. about, all about you. I know you like a quiz. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: probably gonna get it wrong. That's the embarrassing
2: thing. <laughs> <laughs> on your Watford debut, you came off the bench. Who did you come on for? Marvin Sordell. Correct! Yeah. Um when you scored a hat trick for Watford against Bournemouth, I think it's your first ever yeah. hat trick, wasn't it? Um 6 yeah. 1, 2013, you became the yeah. first Watford player to score a hat trick at Vicarage Road since I wanna say Michael Chopra? You were the Not first Watford forth. player to score a hat trick since Michael Chopra, yeah. but at Vicarage Road, oh, it could be
0: even longer than that. Then let let's just throw Luther in the mix.
2: David Conley in 1996. Ah, yeah. but Chopra was that you did was the first hat trick since Chopra in 2003. Um, we'll get half a point for that. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, including <laughs> caretakers, how many managers have you played under at Watford? Oh wow! <laughs> what have we got um,
0: include including caretakers. Yeah, Malkey, Dashkey, Zola. Wow! I want
2: to say 13. Cool. Absolutely bang on. Well done. You've been listening to Upfront with Troy Deeney and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or just want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Talksport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast. And Spotify. The TalkSport Daily podcast
1: is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent a Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk.